It wasn't always an easy road, but at some point, the team at BioWare found themselves in charge of their own destiny. For years, they had been making successful games using other people's ideas, first with the Dungeons & Dragons license, and later on with the Star Wars license. With the freedom that came from the success of those franchises, the team decided that they wanted to tread their own path and start creating content off their own intellectual properties. One such idea pitched to the company's founders was the idea of creating their own science fiction universe on the same scale and scope as Star Wars. That core concept evolved over the course of its development into the Mass Effect series. Today, we're going to learn about the early history of Bioware through the creation of the original Mass Effect. So stick around and join us for a galactic adventure on yet another trip down memory card lane. morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 169th nice, episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we'll tell you the story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, a console, a person, just whatever I want to talk about as long as I can make it relevant to this week. While doing so, while teaching you, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about Mass Effect, originally released for the Xbox 360 on November 20th, 2007. I'm David Kasson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, and well, every time I turn around, he's the spokesperson for some new kind of product. He's my brother, Rob Kasson. Rob, what are you the face of today? That would be the face of Bo, Dave. What is Bo? Well, those who watch Doctor Who would know very well. <laughs> but what? What is? What is? What? What is Bo's? Like, what's the selling point of the face of Bo? The face of Bo is the face of Bo, Dave. The face of Bo has seen like the entirety of time has seen the entirety of time and you know may even happen to be a compatriot of the doctor it, yeah it yeah it very well could be what have you been playing well dave this week has seen the normal runescape and rocket league uh as well as a little bit of farming simulator nice very so, nice it's uh yeah that's been my week how about yours House Flipper. Nice. Valheim. And Red Dead Redemption 2. I don't think I played Rocket League this past week. I don't what? recall playing. I don't think we played it all this week. I mean, we did after recording. Yeah, that's true. Okay. All right. Yeah. Rocket League after recording. So yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, okay, so today we're going to learn the story of Mass Effect and its studio, Bioware. You know, we were already supposed to do a Bioware episode, and it's the only episode I ever canceled. Do you remember that? I remember canceling an episode, but I couldn't tell you what it was on. Yeah, we should have already done this history, but we didn't, and now here we are. Have you played the Mass Effect games? 
I started Andromeda. That's the only one you've played? That was my introduction into the series, and God, that should please, tell you please why no. I never played anymore. Please, no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. No, yep. no, no. That was my no. introduction into the series, Dave. What a big flipping mistake on your part. I know. That's what I've heard, but it's just, it left a bad taste. But we'll get more into that. Oh. So, tell us about Bioware, Dave. What's what's the whole shtick there? So Trent Oster, his brother Brent Oster, and their best and Brent's best friend Marcel Zeshuk. I'm gonna butcher names left and right today. They all got in the video game industry as a bed of sorts. Trent was in his third year of college. Brent had just left the Canadian Armed Forces, and Marcel had just graduated with a degree in agriculture. The three of us got together, Trent Oster recalls, and we're like, okay, we're going to do a business together over the summer. If by the end of summer we can build a video game, we're going to become professional, capital P, professional video game developers. Capital P, huh? Capital P professional. Mm. Not to be confused with lower P professional. So the trio ends up making a game called Blasteroids 3D. It was Asteroids, but in faked first-person viewpoint using scaling sprites. It was horrible, Trent recalled, but it was proof. So they did what they said they were going to do. They made a video game over the summer, and poof, the three of them are video game developers now. It's amazing how that works, huh? A little bit. Video game developers with a capital P, no less. Got that right. Can't forget the capital. <laughs> so they got to work on their next project, which was a mech simulation game called Shattered Steel. So at the same time, Marcel's cousin, Greg Zeshuk, was working with his friends Ray Mazuka. I feel like I just butchered a name. Did I just butcher a name? They're not both Zeshuks. What the heck are they? Yeah, they are. They're both Zeshuks. <laughs> See, I wrote this whole story and didn't put them together. Wouldn't, wouldn't it have make sense because of his cousin yeah but you could we have cousins that don't share a last name with us yeah but you're so like so surprised that they have the same last name yeah. like we also have cousins with the same last you're name you're right don't we? you're very right okay so anyway so marcel and his cousin greg they're greg is working with his friends may mazuka and augustine yip it's kind of hard to butcher that one uh those three are all working at the university of alberta's faculty of medicine and the three of them were really fast friends. They loved video games, really bonded over them. And they ended up together working on a project in which they created medical software, which was called the Gastroenterology Patient Simulator. It was a successful piece of software. It earned them a little bit of money. It was also successful in that the medical trio knew that they wanted to take their skills and work on something a little more creative. So Greg and Marcel, cousins, both with the last, same last name, news to me, uh, they brought the two groups together. All six men pooled the resources. They came up with about $100,000. And in Greg's basement on the 1st of February, 1995, they incorporated their video game development studio. And so it was on that day that Trent Oster, Brent Oster, Marcel Zeshuk, Ray Mazuka, Augustine Yip, and Greg Zeshuk all became the founding members of a little video game studio, kind of relatively unknown even to this day, called BioWare. 
So the six come together to continue work on Shattered Steel, the mech simulator. You know, at this point, they had proof of concept. They submitted it to 10 different publishers. Seven of these publishers come back with an offer, and the team decides to partner with Interplay Entertainment as a publishing partner. Almost immediately, though, there were problems. Brent wanted his brother's best friend, Marcel, gone from the team. Brent argued that Marcel wasn't pulling his weight. Uh, so they, in the beginning, kind of all agreed that Greg would manage the team. Brent brought his concerns to Greg, says, hey, I want Marcel gone. And with that, Marcel becomes the first founder to leave Bioware. In case that wasn't obvious, it means that Greg fired his own cousin, who was also Trent's best friend. So, you know, not the most comfortable situation. Not terribly soon after, Brent had similar concerns about Augustine, but the rest of the team stood up for him, which of course left Trent and Brent with no choice but to leave Bioware, and they took Shattered Steel with them. So they go and they found a new studio in Calgary, it's called Pyrotech Studios. Nine months later, as they continue to work Shattered Steel, nine months later, Brent looks at Trent and says, surprise, surprise, I want you gone. And Trent puts his foot down. He says, I'm the only one left. You can't get rid of me. You've already gotten rid of all the others. So Brent left. He takes a job at Origin working on their combat simulators. Trent, now free of his brother, who has alienated him from the entire rest of all the founders, takes Shattered Steel, and he goes back to Bioware. He gets the gang back together. They finish the game. And they release it to the world on September 27th, 1996. With that being said, two days earlier, on September 25th, 1996, Activision releases MechWarriors 2 Mercenaries. It's a game that won the 1996 Spotlight Award for Best Simulator Game at the Game Developers Conference. Computer Gaming World called it the Best Space Simulator of the, of the Year. Shattered Steel was a moderately good mech simulator, but it wasn't Mech Warrior 2 Mercenaries. So it's largely an afterthought beyond the fact that it's BioWare's technically first published title. Now that's just poor luck and timing. I, like, I know. You, they couldn't have anticipated that happening, but that is just crap luck, man. I know. Because the Mech Warrior, I mean, Mech Warrior is still a common thing today. Obviously. I, to my knowledge, there's not still Shattered Steel, but, I mean, shit, I just played a new Mech Warriors game within the last six months. Yeah. Yeah, well, Mech Warrior 2 did well, and then Mech Warrior 2 Mercenaries was like a standalone expansion pack for the series, and it did incredibly well. And, I mean, they just, I mean, two days apart, they didn't even stand a chance, you know? So, they made a game, you know, and, and they published a game, and Shattered Steel put Bioware on the map. It allowed them to continue to develop games as a studio. It cemented a relationship with Interplay, so it wasn't a complete failure. You know, initially, as they get ready to release a game, as most studios do, you know, Interplay says, hey, why don't you start uh, proof of concepting a sequel to Shattered Steel? Uh, but, you know, at the time, no one knew Mercenaries 2, you know, MechWarrior 2. So as, as the game comes out and as sales are just flat... Uh, Interplay says, uh, nah, nah, there's no point in making a sequel. So they shelve it. 
So the team that was working on Shattered Steel 2, or whatever it was supposed to be called, Shattered Steel sequel, they were moved over to an interplay project named MDK2. Now, we brought up MDK, I think, I think it came up recently, but we definitely talked about it way back in episode 113. It was developed by Shiny Entertainment, which was also responsible for the creation of Earthworm Jim. If you'd like to learn more about Shiny Entertainment, Earthworm Jim, or its creator, go check out that episode. Again, it's episode 113. For today's story, you should know that MDK was a critical and commercial success, and that prompted a sequel, which for reasons was handed over to Bioware. If you want to know said reasons, the creator of MDK, Earthworm Jim, that guy, I'm not even going to name his name because I'm not a fan. For reasons, go check out any episode. He never liked to rush into sequels. He felt that it was irresponsible of sorts to do sequels back to back with the original game. And he didn't want to make a sequel, but Interplay wanted money. So new studio. So they hand over MDK2 to Bioware. And MDK2 gets finished and ported and it ends up being successful. No doubt about that. That's Those are great games from that time period. And while some of the team at Bioware was busy making MDK2, there was another team at the studio working on a role-playing game tentatively called Battleground Infinity. Now, Battleground Infinity had begun its life as a tech demo created by one of the studio's programmers, Scott Gregg. He had taken the demo code for the Windows API of DirectDraw. DirectDraw was a relatively new thing, and he had taken the demo code of it, and he built his own little project around it. Now, one of the things to note about DirectDraw, which was special, was that DirectDraw could use utilize about 16,000 colors, while most of the games at the time only used 256 colors. And that meant for all standards, like this was vibrant and beautiful and just it looked much better um, than other games at the time. But with that being said, it was a horrible tech demo. <laughs> so Damn. BioWare sent it out to a number of studios. Everybody said, "Uh, uh-uh, no, no, thank you. Um, all you could do in the demo, Trent Oster recalled, was walk around, click over on an enemy and choose smite. He would shoot a little ball of fire towards an enemy and they would die. Now, Battleground Infinity did catch the attention, however, of one of the studios under the Interplay banner, so to speak, and that was a a studio named Black Isle Studios. Now, at this point, Black Black Isle Studios was well-known specifically for role-playing because they had worked on the first two Fallout games. They didn't technically develop the first one, but most of the team that, that... made the first Fallout left to go to Black Isle Studios and Black Isle along with Interplay finished Fallout 1 and then Black Isle kind of did Fallout 2 so they they were the Fallout studio um so yeah so they have a reputation for role-playing little reputation and they asked to see the Infinity demo and they see potential in it they think that they could do something special with it Interplay had just purchased a Dungeons and Dragons license from Strategic Simulations. So they get the idea that if we put this 
tech demo together with the D&D license, we can make something special. So a decision was, ma was made to make a Dungeons & Dragons game doing just that. And they turned to the resident geek. Uh, he was said to be hardcore and super hardcore into two things, D&D and Star Wars. And they asked him, where do we set this game? You know, Dungeons & Dragons is a, a lot of ground to cover, character, story, so on and so forth. And he comes back and he says, hey, let's just make it easy. Let's go with what is perhaps the best known setting in Dungeons & Dragons. And that's called for the Forgotten Realms. So the team tentatively names the project Forgotten Realms. And they get to work. They read all the Forgotten Realms books. They read all the short stories, all the handbooks for the playing Dungeons & Dragons. They basically consume everything that they can get their hands on. They even begin playing their own Dungeons & Dragons games. And it's through those Dungeons & Dragons games that they flesh out all the characters and their stories that would be placed into this video game project. Which is super cool if you think about it. Yeah, it is. The development cycle of that game takes three years. Interestingly enough, during all this time, the three doctors on the team, the ones that had come from, you know, making the gastroenterology patient simulator, they were all still practicing medicine. Bioware was actually their side gig. But the development of this project of Forgotten Realms was serious business. So Mizuka and Zeshek decided to leave medicine during this time and move into full-time video game development. But the third doctor, Augustine Yip, decided to leave and continue with his medical practice. So another founder down. All in all, it's a great development process. It creates a great game. It's a classic in the role-playing genre, especially for Dungeons & Dragons fans. They create a game and a story worthy of its own episode. And I do, in fact, have it on the schedule for the end of the year, but next year. So join us. It'll be episode 225, actually, for the story of Baldur's Gate. For today's story, you need to know that Baldur's Gate was incredibly successful. It nearly matched the original Diablo, Diablo in sales numbers. And this really put Bioware on the map. Like, it made them a go-to studio for role-playing games. They continued to use the Infinity Engine and churn them out. They made expansions for Baldur's Gate. They made Baldur's Gate 2. They visited other parts of the Forgotten Realms in the Icewind Dale series. They played around with something called the D&D Multiverse in a game called Planescape Torment. So they took the the tools and the expertise and they just continued to churn out game after game after game and to fans of the role-playing genre these are some of like the core role-playing games especially if you are a DD fan of the era so bioware is doing good on the other hand their publishing partner interplay was having a lot of financial difficulty and they tried everything to not go into full bankruptcy and this included selling off the D&D license to Infogrames. So Bioware ends up working with Infogrames, which would later become Atari. Um, if you would like to learn how that happened and all about that, we actually covered all of that back in episode 91. Um, so go check that out if that's something, story you're interested in. Uh, Infogrames would publish Bioware's next title, 
which was Neverwinter Nights, another D&D role-playing game. So with all these games behind them, BioWare gained a reputation making an excellent Western RPG. They were probably one of the top role-playing studios uh, 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 globally. They were definitely the top Western, pretty much the top Western role-playing studio. So yeah, so LucasArts decides that they want to make a role-playing game using the Star Wars license, and who else are they going to turn to but like the best Western RPG studio? So they come to BioWare, and they make a game. This is the episode that we canceled, Rob. Ah, right, because you wanted to play it. Now it's all coming together. Yes, because I really want to. But you still to... haven't. I still have. Well, I, to be fair, I've played it. I just haven't finished it. I've started it like twice now since then. It's worth the finish. I'm telling you, I this bet. is one of the ones that I played. I bet. Don't know what we're talking about. It's KOTOR, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. It's a Star Wars role-playing game that was released for the original Xbox in July of 2003. It is highly successful. It is their first, Bioware's first role-playing game ever designed for a console. And it was a hit. You know, Bioware was previously well-known among the PC role-playing audience. They were really well-known around D&D fanatics. But now with the excess of KOTOR, you could add Star Wars fans to the list and you could add Xbox fans to the list. So Bioware is like riding high at this point, right? Absolutely. The success of KOTOR gives the remaining co-founders, Ray Mazuka and Greg Zeshuk, the money. And the confidence they needed to start their own dream project. And this was a project that would borrow many technical elements from KOTOR. This project had been in their minds since the very beginning of the company's founded. They had the core concept, but they just didn't really know what to do with it. Because everything else had to catch up. And they had the idea to make a game where you would become a very powerful martial arts master. And this led them to make this project which was bioware's first original intellectual property for a role-playing game and that would be jade empire did you ever play jade empire i have not no yeah me either i missed that one um so yeah so they're making jade empire Everyone is super impressed with Bioware, super impressed with with KOTOR. Microsoft loves it because KOTOR is an Xbox game that does really well. So Microsoft Game Studios, they come to Bioware and they said, hey, we'd like to publish Jade Empire. Um, And the team makes Jade Empire. They work on it. They design it for the original Xbox. It has a release date of just seven months before the release of the Xbox successor the Xbox 360. And while there was a team putting Jade Empire together, another part of the Bioware team was in pre-production on a project for the Xbox 360 itself. And this is a process, pre-production process that starts with putting all the right tools together to do the job. And speaking of putting the right tools together, are you sitting there listening to us regale you with stories from video game history and thinking to yourself, I have some stories that, I, that I'd like to share with the world? 
And are you thinking about putting together your own podcast, but you just don't know where to find the tools to do the job? Well, look no further than the all-in-one podcasting suite provided by the team at Zencaster. With Zencaster, it's super easy to record a podcast. Everyone logs in using their web browser, and you just start recording a high-quality podcast right away. It allows you to record up to 4K video with your guests. And with Zencaster's multi-layered backups, you always have the highest quality recordings, even if the connection is unstable. With Zencaster, you also ha never have to worry about what you sound like. Zencaster's post-production process makes you always sound clear and buttery smooth. It automatically removes all those ums and ahs, removes all those awkward pauses in conversation too. You can set the right podcast loudness, reduce background noise, and do all sorts of fun stuff all with a single click of a button. And even if the thought of podcasting overwhelms you because you think you need tons of different tools and services, you can relax because those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and even distribute it to major podcasting destinations. So if you'd like to start your own podcast, or maybe you want to take your current podcast to the next level, we've got a deal for you. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use our offer code memory card lane, and you can get 30% off the first month of any Zencaster paid plan. So sign up for Zencaster today, and you can experience the same ease in producing your own high quality podcast as we do each week. So go out there and make the next great podcast creation with a great set of tools provided by Zencaster. Now, the team at BioWare was planning their next project on the Unreal Engine 3, uh, but the tools that they needed to put together, they included additional components for the engine, the Unreal Engine. There were components for advanced digital actors, um, space exploration, squad combat. They needed to they needed to put all these all these pieces together this project was shaping up to be by far bioware's largest and most ambitious programming project it was a development cycle over like three or four years total and most of that time was devoted to setting up the tools and the technology to make the rest of it work they were essentially setting themselves up to create a large project in a newer game engine for a brand new gaming console. And and look, Unreal is still that engine today. Every time, I feel at least, every time there's a new Unreal engine, when you go from 2 to 3 and then 3 to 4 and then 4 to 5, it's always such an awesome leap in technology. Like, we have Unreal 5 right now, and it is photo more photorealistic than any of the engines before it, you know? Absolutely. It is an incredible program. And it was always like that. So Unreal Engine 3 was something new. The Xbox 360 was something new. You know, there was a lot of pieces to put together, you know, that was going to be the basis for, for what this next project was going to be. By this point, Bioware, they know what it takes to make a great role-playing game. You know, that's, for starters, impossible without a great story. And the reason why we're telling you this story today is that this project, Mass Effect, definitely had a great story. They tap one of the senior writers on KOTOR to be their lead writer on Mass Effect. You know, they knew that they wanted to make something super big and epic. 
So they said, hey, let's make a trilogy. So they structure the main story points around a trilogy. You know, the team wants to create, like I said, a big sweeping epic. And they knew a trilogy was was how they wanted to go about it. Because the first one does well, we can continue telling the story in two and three. And it's really ambitious that from the get-go, they knew that they wanted it to be a trilogy. You know, that's ballsy too. Oh, 100%. That's, that's huge. One of the concepts that the team determined from the very beginning was that they wanted a really great and memorable science fiction character. You know, in role-playing games, you typically start out with this completely empty vessel, and then you fill that up with the choices you make throughout the game. But for Mass Effect, the team sought out to do, to do something completely different. You know, they cited the memorable sci-fi characters like captain kirk from star trek for instance you know they wanted people to get attached to a to the strong character but they also wanted to have a strong character that would allow you to play it in a way that you can still make it your own story and that's a challenge right how do you tell the story of a character that you you have this very clear vision of but you do it in such a way that the kid, the player still gets to tell the story. Well, they managed in this case to do it different ways. There are multiple ways to finish missions. That's how they designed them. And they designed conversations the same way. There are multiple ways to get through a conversation. What Mass Effect is well known for is dialogue trees, story paths, uh, cinematic, uh, cinematic presentation. Uh, just a great story just a great story in the way that it's told and presented and so on and so forth. You have numerous dialogue options. They create a concept called the dialogue wheel. The dialogue wheel helps players identify which responses belong to which emotions. You know, among the tools that they had to build were, like I had mentioned, advanced digital actors. So they had all these numerous dialogue options. And so they had to create all these conversations and get their digital actors to play out these scenes so that the characters in the game could speak using their facial expressions and body movement. They also brought with them a concept that they had been working through various games, including, you know, since KOTOR, really, called the morality system. Um, but now they made it work in a way that it would affect more than just your own character. You know, now your morality could affect your party, could affect whether or not members of your party would want to partner with you. It would affect how members of your party would talk to you and react to you and your actions. If you did something that they didn't like, they would tell you about it and and clearly make you aware of the fact that they're not happy with it. Um, and the same with the world around you. The world around is affected by your morality, too. They basically wrote this game in a way to emphasize the fact that your choices matter. You know, Mass Effect takes place in space. Space is very vast. You can go and explore all these different planets within the Mass Effect universe. It was really important for the team at Bioware to create this, like, you know, to play off an innate sense of discovery. They knew that they wanted to feature an actual galaxy that could be explored beyond the core story locations you know they borrowed from games like starflight and star control uh they sought them out as inspiration to create this large expansive world 
And in all these individual planets in our galaxy, each of these planets had their own primary writer, and that writer would create all of the stories on their specific planet. And then afterwards, that writer had to serve up their work to all the other writers, and everyone would take turns reviewing each other's work and offering constructive criticism. So while the writers were responsible for their own stuff, it was also a very collaborative environment, and that and that kind of gave credence to it being a consistent story, even it had a, even though it had a big writing team, you know? As I said, this game is designed around multiple dialogue paths, multiple story outcomes. It features about 400,000 words altogether, 20,000 of which are recorded lines of dialogue. To put that into perspective, it features roughly the equivalent of about 20 movies or five full novels. Damn. And they wrote that over three years, roughly, which is amazing. Writing five novels worth of quality writing over three years. I mean, there are writers that can't do that in a decade. I'm looking at you, George R.R. R. Martin. Give us our <laughs> damn Jesus uh, Game of Thrones book. I don't even know what the series is anymore. I'm so done with it, I forgot the name of the series been so long so once the team had the tools you know with their unreal technology and they had the basis for their story they looked to create an artistic vision for the game and like i said mass effect has a cinematic presentation so they looked to cinema for inspiration they've cited movies like star wars alien star trek 2 the wrath of khan khan Blade Runner, Starship Troopers, and they took a lot from all things the cinematic masterpiece known as Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Oh. I know. I found an article that says they borrowed a lot from it. And then they just kept, and then they just kept at it. You know, they could have made the combat turn based, like Kotor's partially turn based, but they opted for making it a third person shooter. Because they wanted to make this game simpler and more straightforward. And this simplicity extended into many of the other systems in the game. The role playing is pretty straightforward. The exploration is straightforward. And the controls themselves are straightforward. The team at Bioware actually worked closely with Microsoft to make an intuitive interface. And to find a balance between being a shooter and being a role-playing game, um, which makes sense, you know. Um, a little bit. And they did a great job at it. You know, they sat down, they got to work, and they hashed some things out. They found a great music composer to put together some great music. Um, and like I said, it was a development cycle over three and four years, and they put all the pieces together the game ended up going gold. I think pre-production started in like early 2004 and the game was announced as, as hitting gold on October 22nd, 2007. And then of course it was released to the world on November 20th, 2007. In between there, they, you know, showed it off at this show, showed it off at that show. It was probably at, I don't know, E3 yeah, I see. It was the E3 2006 one, like best graphics and most innovative design. May it in in 2006 it won best role playing game at the Great Game Critic Awards. Hadn't even been released at the time, so that was cool. They just 
you know, we're excited for it. Um, E3 in 2007 also got best console game and best role-playing game. So even before, the point is, even before this game came out, like, it was winning awards and people were, like, really excited for it, you know? So there's a lot of hype around its release. And so when it came out in, you know, November 2007, we were waiting for it. We were, we were definitely waiting for it. Um, if you don't know what Mass Effect is, why? I'm just kidding. Um, Mass Effect's an action role-playing game. It's a third-person shooter uh, done up as a role-playing game. Um, in it, you assume the role of Commander Shepard. He's an elite human soldier who must stop a rogue agent from helping a highly advanced machine race known as the Reapers from carrying out a galactic invasion. It just dawned on me, you've only played Andromeda, so you don't even know Commander Shepard. Nope, sure don't. Uh, Mass Effect is a game that has multiple quest lines. They generally involve space exploration. Um, there's squad-based combat. There's vehicular combat. There is a lot of interaction with non-player characters. Like I said, they had designed it for a galaxy. I've never played Andromeda. Is it designed the same way where you can, like, survey planets and go from planet to planet and stuff like that? I believe it was, but admittedly, I really yeah. didn't play that much for obvious reasons. That's, yeah, okay. So, yeah, so they redesigned the Milky Way galaxy, and you can visit all these planets. You go to the planet, and you can survey it with your ship, and then you can go on some of the planets on foot, or you had a vehicle called the Mako. You would take a party, if I remember correctly, three people, and you could move party members in and out of that, in and out of, in and out of your party, and you had squad-based combat, and it had this really, it had this really innovative, inter like simple interface that was easy to like go tell a squad member to go do this or go do that. So the squad-based combat felt really great, and then like I said, it had a dialogue wheel. So when you were in the middle of a conversation, had all these branching conversation paths where, like, is like you would come up to a part in a conversation. You can either respond, like, in a happy way or an angry way or mean way or what have you. And then you'd either gain morality or lose morality or what have you. It's been a while since I played it. I'm, I'm really drawn here. Um, but it was great. I will tell you. This game didn't grab me at first. I played the first Mass Effect and I got lost in the scope of it. I've talked about that being a problem of mine on various episodes in this podcast. Yeah, you have. I know. I mean, there's something about big games where I get sidetracked and then I, I just I lose interest because I'm I'm so off the beaten path and then I get bored and I move on. Mass Effect was one of those for whatever reason. I couldn't get into this. I started it. I wasn't fond of it. And I put it down. Now with that being said. When Mass Effect 2 came out. Mass Effect 2 was uh, like to me on a whole different level. I did go back and play the original Mass Effect. So I have played this one. Um, for whatever reason it did take the second time. I've played it. I've pretty much played the entirety. I mean not pretty much. I have played the entirety of the game. Like all the games in the series I can honestly say like. I've completed everything like they're they're hundred percent for me if you can call hundred percent it's not really that type of game but like I, I've played them 
Um, but for whatever reason, like when it came out and it was hyped the first time, it just didn't it didn't take for me. But I'm glad that I went back to play it and gave it a chance because like having played through the trilogy now, it, it's worth the ride. What I do remember, though, is the controversy around the first Mass Effect. Uh, do you remember any, any of this contra- any any controversy around this game? None whatsoever, Dave. This is all new to me. So, Mass Effect has the option where you can romance other players, non-player characters, people in your party. People in your party might not have been till two or three, but it has the option where you can romance other people. And if the relationship becomes like more intimate, there was a cutscene that would have partial nudity and imply sexual activity. And some neoconservative blogger um, came out and started using, like, really inflammatory language around it. Like, one thing he said was that Mass Effect can be customized to sodomize whatever and whomever the game player wishes. Oh. And another article he wrote said, with its over-the-net capable... with, With its over-the-net capabilities, virtual orgasmic rape is just the push of a button away. Jesus. Yeah, so um even Jack Thompson who's notoriously like um anti-obscenity campaigns against video games said that like it's ridiculous. Um the dude ended up issuing an apology, but it was taken up by various like conservative, you know, blogs and news stories and of course Fox News was part of part of it. Um, Fox News, there was a program by Martha McCollum at the time. It discussed the sexual content of the game. Um, McCollum stated that the game leaves nothing to the imagination and it features the ability for players to engage in full graphic sex, which was not the case. It was partial nudity and implied sexual activity. Be a lot cooler if it did. (laughs) So she got lambasted. All these people finally get around to, like, watching the game or learning about the game, and they end up, like, having to, like, retract their statements. Um, one, was an, the, one was an author. The one who did the two and a half hours thing was an author. She had been told the game was similar to pornography and then started to spout that everywhere. And then in the end, she admitted that she had seen episodes of Lost that are more sexually explicit. Hmm. Um so, as you can imagine, the gaming community doesn't like when they get attacked. We know this about the gaming community, right? And sure so, this lady was an author, and her latest book attracted many review... It was review-bombed on Amazon, right? They all logged on Amazon and gave it one star out of five. And because she did this blind, a lot of the reviews would satirically note that they had not read her book, but they heard from someone else <laughs> that the book was bad. <laughs> Oh, gotta love when a community joins together. <laughs> I haven't read her book, but I heard from someone else that the book was bad, so it's only a one-star book for me, man. <laughs> That's good. So, um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was a lot of controversy. I, I remember I remember for a little while there, it was all part of the the um, it was all part of the obscenity conversation, and then I think two or three has the same sex relationship. And it all started all over again with the um, homosexuality obscenity conversation with one later once, which was just ridiculous. But Mass Effect has um, managed to be on the controversial limelight. I think it was two was same sex and then three, everyone hated the ending. 
So, like, all three games managed to, like, have a controversy of some kind. Um, got us, and then of course Andromeda, everyone hated. So, you know, all four of them, I guess you can say. Um, yeah. So Mass Effect is a success, and they had originally written it as a trilogy. So of course that went ahead as planned. Mass Effect Two is amazing. Like I had said, it wasn't for me. It was the next level over the original. Pretty much everyone considers it an improvement. There are people and publications that cite Mass Effect 2 as one of the greatest games of all time. Mass Effect 2 is in the Smithsonian American Art Museum. They have a video game exhibit where, you know, video games is art. And Mass Effect 2 is one of the games um, that is exhibited in the video games is art exhibit. Mass Effect 3, however, did not fare as well. Critically, it was a great game. Rates pretty well, close to Mass Effect 2, which I think is the highest rated one. It won awards, including Game of the Year, from a few publications. But like I said, it was a source of controversy. There are a lot of people in the gaming community that are not fans of the ending, its ending, which ended the trilogy. They felt that... It was a cop-out after working your way through three games. Like, it was just not a good... It was not a good way to end end the trilogy. So it was pretty controversial. You know, Electronic Arts, who published it, um, you know, eventually kind of re- released, like, a patch or DLC where they rewrote the ending. But even that has <laughs> mixed, like, mixed feelings. The whole concept around it... I don't know if we'll ever do a Mass Effect 3 episode, so I'll talk about it now. Mass Effect series has always been a game of choices, right? Like, that's right. what they emphasize it around. Choice and conversation, choice of this, choice and that. And that never stayed. Like, your Commander Shepard from Mass Effect 1, he got imported into Mass Effect 2. So everything you did in Mass Effect 1, like your morality and some, like, your party decisions and stuff like that, like, they carried over. And then that, oh. and then that carried over again into Mass Effect 3. So your Commander Shepard from the beginning was with you at the end. Like, if you wanted to be a badass, like, you were a badass through three games, you know, or if you wanted to be an angel, you were an angel for three games. So with that, did they have to take saves from the previous they games? Did. Like, yep. Oh, okay, so if you didn't have the previous ones, would it just start fresh and you had to do it all new? You you would have to start with a fresh Commander Shepard, yes. I mean, they would. he'd be a neutral Commander Shepard. Um, he wouldn't, hmm. you'd miss out on like some dialogue options that you would have understood from the first game. Um, some party options, some, you know, and the morality system had a lot to do with that. You know, if you were really good people and you, people would treat you like if you already had a reputation for being good, um, or being bad. And if you were just a fresh commander shepherd, you'd miss out on some of that. So that's pretty cool it was pretty cool actually it was it was very cool it was very cool but the way they wrote the ending all those choices didn't matter like they wrote it in a way that like it didn't matter whether you were good or bad or anything like that like everything ended up at one point and everyone was like wtf like you just wrote me three fantastic games where everything was impactful and then the ending isn't so it was it was um pretty controversial and they rewrote the ending which was okay i mean i i i don't feel as strongly about it as everyone else does i mean i understand that argument and i i 
can see it and agree with it, but it doesn't, it didn't really, I'm, I, you know me, I don't get offended by stuff like other people do. So, um, true that. So, yeah. So, um, so they, they made three, um, games in the, in the mass effect trilogy. And that was the end of the, this commander shepherd trilogy story. Um, and so then they set out to make another game in the mass effect universe. Now that the trilogy is finished, and that is your introduction to the Mass Effect universe, Mass Effect Andromeda. Um, that is not looked at as a great game. All the other Mass Effects averaged like 95, 96, 97, 98 in their Metacritic ratings. And Andromeda rates at like 70, 71, 72. Um, so, yeah. It is, it's not looked at as a, a very good game at all. Um, but good no, it was not good enough that I never wanted to get into Mass Effect because of it. Yeah, you you really do kind of owe it to yourself to go back and play this original trilogy because this trilogy. I mean, I I'm inclined to agree. I do think they're some of the greatest video games of all time. It may be one of the best video game trilogies. Like if there's a list of video game trilogies, it has to be on there. Um, they're fantastic games, and I I've loved playing all three of them. And I'm, I I never played Andromeda. Because when it came out, it was so, like, everybody hated it so much that I didn't want to ruin... I didn't want to ruin it for me. I own it. I bought it. If, if, like, I bought it. I think I bought it for, like, 10 bucks. going, well, for 10 bucks, but I still haven't been able to bring myself to play it, so... I'll just tell you now, Dave, it, it's really nothing special. It's not worth it. Yeah. I always say, play the game. That's one that I'll say, eh, you can skip it and be fine. Yeah. Good news, though. They, we found out last year, but they just teased it uh, earlier this month on November 7th because the Normandy is N7. Well, the agency's N7, so N7, November 7th. We just got a teaser on November 7th, and N7 day, that there is a, another Mass Effect in development, tentatively called Mass Effect 4. That's what you know we're kind of calling it right now. Um, so hopefully they learn from their mistakes in Andromeda. And they return true to form with another fantastic entry in the Mass Effect series. Um, Bioware, you know, Bioware, during the development of Bio of Mass Effect, actually, you know, there's a series of transactions. And Bioware ends up being owned by Electronic Arts. They are owned by Electronic Arts, but they're allowed to be, you know, like be their own unit and say their own unit eventually EA puts together like a role-playing unit and they unify all their, their role-playing um, studios underneath this banner um, called the Bioware group. So Bioware is such a strong name for role-playing that even when EA wants to like unify all their role-playing studios, they put them all together and they still call them Bioware, which cracks me up. So even to this day, they have the reputation. Um, and I'd say for the most part, they, they've maintained their reputation, speaking of which, as an excellent developer of role-playing games. Andromeda was one of the rare misses in their library. You know, it's not the only miss, but there's only a couple in there. You know, they're also responsible for the Dragon Age series, which is a, you know, fantasy-based role-playing game. Turned out a whole bunch of excellent games in the Dragon Age series. Origins, Inquisition... Those are games. We'll attest to that fantastic series. I really oh, enjoy Dragon Age. Good. I'm gl I'm I'm glad I finally hit a game that you played and like. They created a Star Wars MMORPG, which was called Star Wars: The Old Republic, 
It did okay. It was okay. Yeah, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't fantastic. They did miss the mark with Anthem. They can't all be winners. That was a little disappointing. I had high hopes. I think most of the gaming community had high hopes for Anthem. It was another sci-fi role-playing game, MMO-ish, Destiny Killer, all these titles uh, made by Bioware, but it fell flat. So, you know, Anthem didn't do too well. They did take the time to remaster the original Mass Effect trilogy. They called it, what, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, and it's all three of them. Um, And the first one... Uh, one of the things that people didn't like about the first one was the control. The combat was kind of clunky. Like, they really did a good job improving everything for the second one. So when they remastered it, now the first one plays like the other two. And pretty much everyone's like, fantastic quality of life improvement. Excellent choice. So, Rob, if you do go back and play them, play the Legendary Edition, the remastered trilogy. Um, it's It's worth the cost of entry. Is that available on Steam? I don't know the answer to that. We will find out after this message. And the team at BioWare is currently working on new entries to both Dragon Age and Mass Effect, as we just mentioned. So they're not going anywhere. They're a whole BioWare group now, and BioWare is going to be BioWare again. So we've got a lot to look forward to. Um, Before I kind of wrap up the story, I threw out a lot of names in the beginning. The founders of BioWare, um, none of them work for the company anymore. You know, we talked about a bunch of them leaving as part of the story. I think the three that we didn't talk about were Mizuka, Mizuyuka, uh, Greg Zeshuk, and Trent Oster. Mizuka, Zeshuk, they both retired from the gaming industry in 2012. Trent Oster had actually left Bioware in 2009. He formed a company called Beamdog. Beamdog has been working with Bioware for a while. They churned out expansions for a lot of Bioware games. They made expansions for Baldur's Gate 1, Baldur's Gate 2, the Icewind Dale series. A lot of those games got enhanced editions. Baldur's Gate's got enhanced edition. Planescape Torment got an enhanced edition. All those enhanced editions were made by Beamdog. So they have been partners to Bioware for years. And they're still making stuff too. Earlier this year, Beamdog actually released a roguelike video game. It's called Myth Force. Um, so they're still making games too, but yeah, we'll talk about Bioware again because we're going to look at Baldur's Gate next year. You know, we got Baldur's Gate three this year, which has gotten all the game of the year talks. So Baldur's Gate is relevant to the current, you know, gaming, uh, culture, I guess, or gaming conversation. And we'll hit that up next year and talk about it. So, yeah. That we shall, Dave, and it'll be a fun time. It will. Well, like we talked about, there are various other things that have come into this conversation. You know, we talked a little bit about Shiny Entertainment. We talked a little bit about Infogrames becoming Atari. Um, These are all old old episodes that you can check out by going to our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Rob, what else can people find on our website? Well, Dave, you can find a calendar of our future episodes, including next year Baldur's Gate, so you can see some of the topics that we're talking about, maybe give us some insight that you have, or maybe you want to be a guest on appearing in one of our episodes. You can find links to things such as our Discord, where you can come talk to Dave and I, maybe share some little fun facts, or even, you know, hey, say, hey, I want to join you on this episode. You can find a link to our Patreon, where for a couple of dollars, you can help support us and get access to unedited and ad-free versions of each episode. 
And you can also find links to things such as our social media, where I can be found on several platforms as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor and Dave. I can be found on various platforms as David is wrong. All right, each week, we like to tell you the story. It's about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. This week, it was all about Mass Effect and Bioware. While telling you our weekly story, we hope to teach you something new about the topic what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as in its legacy, rather. One of the nice things about doing this podcast is as we research for these episodes, we learn things. Whenever you teach people things, you're bound to learn new things. It's a really beautiful cycle, leaning, learning and teaching. So in recognition of that cycle, we always like to talk about what we take away from episodes. So Rob, what did you learn today? I learned a whole lot about Mass Effect, Dave. I think that my favorite takeaway is just how ballsy the creators were. I mean, to want to start and start the game out as a trilogy, not knowing how the first game was going to be received, just making an assumption and saying, you know what, we want to make it all three. We're not going to create a game with a solid ending. We already know it's going to have more that's ballsy man we don't hear about that most of these creators are just doing it game by game trying to get by and make it work but these guys they just they came in they hit the ground running and they said no we're going for three let's make it happen and they sure as hell did they did well they were to be fair they were like on top of the world at that point you had kotor and jade empire and in the middle of this whole process is when they were you know acquired so to speak by electronic arts so then they had the backing of a huge studio with a lot of you know they already had deep pockets and now you have ea like everything just kind of lined up for them very very well you know no there's no doubt about that but i mean even still they were hitting these one hit wonders out of the park and yeah like kotor got a a second game in the series Mm -mm. um they got they got a second game in the series but it's not a bioware game at all well, I'm just saying as far as the whole series, but my point stands that a lot of these games are made not with the intent to create a sequel, that just create a game as a standalone, and if something, if it becomes successful, another game gets made. But yeah. even still, they were like, you know what? No, we're going for a trio. We're going for the trilogy. That's how we're going to start the game out, and that's how we're going to finish it, and they sure as hell did. Yep. So I, I just think that's huge. That's a huge gamble, even with all that support, but they didn't disappoint. So I I just huge props to them for that. Yeah. So that's my takeaway, Dave. What about you? What'd you learn this week? Gastroenterology patient simulator. <laughs> I like the, the original GPS. Yeah, yeah. I like um I don't know. It's interesting to me like that early history. Cause you know, I always like the what ifs and I mean, dude almost made sure there wasn't a bioware. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he tried real hard to make sure there wasn't a bioware. And they still picked up the pieces, came back together, and and turned it into, like, uh, you know, best best thing ever. So, I wonder if that dude yeah. kicks himself now. Hopefully. I, I hope you know, so, too. Yeah. He, uh, he did some dumb. He did some very dumb. Did some very, very dumb. Did some very dumb. All right. Well, on that note, that's, that's, that's Mass Effect. That is the history of Bioware. Um, brief look into their early library Baldur's Gate and KOTOR and Icewind Dale and Planescape Torment a bunch of great games that is a you know 
brief overview of the development process and and yeah i think we did it rob i think so too dave well before i look to next week is there anything you'd like to add to today's episode as always, Dave, i got to take a quick moment to say thank you so much to all of our listeners and our supporters. It means the world to us, and we hope that we bring a little bit of knowledge and joy into your week. And if not, well, we're still glad to have you along for the ride, so thank you. Very, very true. Thank you very much. All right, Rob. You know, we've kind of talked about in the past how during the 90s there was this backlash against video games for their perceived violence and obscenity right we talked about it early on with mortal Kombat and what wolfenstein um how people were looking at video games going they're corrupting children and and there were companies that didn't even want to touch violent video games like nintendo was notorious for it because of this very fact and from this concept there were a lot of games that were born you know mario paint was one of them that we've actually done a whole episode up but on the past that you know they wanted to start making educational content for for video game systems to work against the backlash of everything right right so next week we're gonna look at some of the other games that were kind of born from these same sentiments some really weird educational games from the 90s from this time period among these games there are more than one about type 1 diabetes there is a game about the hazards of smoking there's a game about asthma even nice so it's time to get healthy so join us again next week as we let video games teach us how and yet another trip down memory card lane do the thing Doobie dot and bat and bat and dot and doo doo.